Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this episode, we're going to take a look at the age-old question that has existed since pretty much the dawn of time. What is the CONCACAF Nations League? A bit of a disclaimer here. This episode is being released just after midnight on June 3rd, so that I can then say that later today, the U.S. men's national team will take on Honduras in the semifinal of the Nations League. The winner will advance to the final on Sunday, uh, where the winner of Mexico's match against Costa Rica will be waiting. That's the very basic background of things at time of recording, and we'll be talking a little more about Honduras, the USA's opponent, later on in this episode. But first, let's get to the Nations League itself. What is it? Why does it exist and how useful might it prove to be? Well, we are still in our inaugural Nations League. Uh, It's been going for quite some time. COVID did not help make this thing shorter. The inaugural Nations League featured 40 of the Confederation's 41 teams. Guatemala was suspended by FIFA in October of 2016, so they missed the eligibility period to qualify. There was a deadline. They couldn't apply. So here we are. The format divided those remaining 40 teams into three divisions, Group A, Group B, and Group C, not surprisingly. The six teams that had participated in the final round of World Cup qualifying in 2018 were automatically placed into the top tier. That would be Group A. That meant guaranteed spots for Mexico, Honduras, Costa Rica, the United States, Panama, and Trinidad and Tobago. The remaining teams in the Confederation took part in a qualifying tournament that also doubled as qualifiers for the 2021 Gold Cup, which is later this summer. Another competition later this summer. The top six finishers in that qualifying round booked their spots in both Group A and this summer's Gold Cup. So credit to Haiti, Canada, Martinique, Curaçao, Bermuda, and Cuba for some strong performances. The next best 16 teams were sent to Group B, and the remaining teams to Group C. Uh, Should be noted, the top four teams in qualifying for Group B, which were Guyana, Jamaica, Nicaragua, and El Salvador, all also qualified for this summer's Gold Cup. But we didn't just have three big groups and that was it. No, there were further divisions within each group. So in the top tier of Group A, teams were split into groups of three. The top finisher in each subgroup uh, would then advance to the knockout round, which is where we are now. The middle finisher would stay where they were. The bottom place team would be relegated to the lower division. The second tier was similarly divided and followed a similar format, with the exception that the top finishers in Tier B, who would eventually turn out to be Granada, El Salvador, Jamaica, and Suriname, would move to Tier A. The bottom teams would be knocked down to the lower division. And so now we've arrived at the final stage of this iteration of the Nations League, the knockout round. Originally meant to be played last summer, the final stage this time round pits the United States against Honduras, Mexico against Costa Rica, with a winner crowned in a championship final and the losers vying for third place overall. But that all begs the question, why did this new tournament need to exist at all? With the Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying, and other smaller competitions like the Caribbean Football Union Championship, it's easy to argue that there were plenty of other fixtures on the books. But there are a couple reasons, uh, one more cynical than the others. Uh, The first one being that the primary goal of the competition is to guarantee more competitive and or meaningful matches for the Confederation's smaller members. Not just the big ones, but everybody. With the format of World Cup qualifying being as it is, if a team 
team doesn't make the final round of qualifying, the Hex, then they don't play qualifiers for a very long time. And this is not just the smallest members of CONCACAF. Take Canada, for example. They missed out on qualifying for the Hex uh, by one point. Mexico topped their group with 16 points. Honduras came next with eight. Canada finished third with seven. So Mexico and Honduras go on to the hexagonal. That's it for Canada. And their final game of qualifying, which was a 3-1 win over El Salvador, took place in September of 2016. The World Cup did not take place for close to two years after that. Canada didn't get to play in another qualifier until the first phase of qualification for the 2022 World Cup began in March of this year. Granted, COVID played a role in slowing things down, but the old format still left at least three and a half years between qualifying games, and that's for teams that made it somewhat far in qualifying. For those that lost in the very first round, like, say, the Cayman Islands, their final game of qualifying was in March of 2015. And it was the same situation for the Gold Cup as well. Three teams, the USA, Mexico, and Canada, qualified automatically. The remainder had qualifying tournaments via the Copa Centroamericana and the Caribbean Cup. But even those tournaments had qualifying rounds, meaning smaller CONCACAF nations were still going longer and longer periods of time without getting meaningful games that would help generate interest for the sport in the precise areas where further development was needed. If you don't have games to play, especially meaningful games, you're not going to get the interest. You're not going to get kids wanting to play soccer to maybe go to a Gold Cup or maybe play in World Cup qualifiers, maybe even make it to a World Cup. You never know. You're not going to have that grassroots motivation. But with the Nations League, you ideally get some solutions. To that, it aims to fix some of this by giving teams more opportunities to play other national teams of a similar level key point there, in an official competition. Because let's say one of those smaller nations did find a way to somehow qualify for the Gold Cup, they're still going to be going up against teams that will absolutely obliterate them 8-0, 11-0, and what's the point of that? But if you're playing in smaller, not even regional, but just you're getting opposition that will maybe present you with a challenge, maybe you get a win, maybe you get a loss, but you can fight, you can develop, you can learn. You're not going to learn much from from an 8-0 blowout, but you might from a 2-1 loss, and that is where the Nations League comes in as well. And since that official competition also has a final event, there's an opportunity to make even more money, which is the cynical thing I mentioned and is obviously always going to be a part of how global soccer operates. The final for this year's iteration will take place on June 6th in Denver, and if the U.S. takes on Mexico in that final, revenues should be solid even in the midst of a global pandemic. Plus, with the Gold Cup kicking off in July, there's an immediate opportunity for more money and revenge for whichever team doesn't end up winning the final, or whichever teams don't end up winning the final, I should say. So with all that said, we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team's opponent in just a minute, but first, let's hear from today's sponsor. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so you can control where you want sites to think you are located. You can trick them. You can do that thing where they think the call is coming from Iceland, and then they go to Iceland and they find out that it was redirected there, and you fold them all. I don't know who they are, but you can fool them. All you need to do is open the app, select a location, tap one button to connect, and refresh the page that you're on to access thousands of new shows and movies. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, which gives you a whole lot of different Netflix options. Which is very cool because obviously certain subscription services do not have rights in the country you might be. So, for example, I'm a big Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan. Uh, That is only available on Hulu here in the U.S., but it's available on Netflix in Canada. So if you set that uh, ExpressVPN to say that you're in Canada, 
then you can get some Brooklyn Nine-Nine in your life. Same thing goes for Rick and Morty in France, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in Australian Netflix. And it works with any streaming service, be it Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, Netflix, plenty of others, including Peacock. So now our British listeners can easily get a Peacock subscription if they so choose. Go to expressvpn.com slash soccer to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash soccer for an extra three months free. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's show. Now, let's talk Honduras. Since national team play resumed, Honduras has played just four games, all of them friendlies. They drew 1-1 with Nicaragua in October 2020, followed that up with a 2-1 loss to Guatemala in November, and then there was was also a 1-1 draw with Belarus and a 2-1 loss to Greece this past March. For the most part, manager Fabian Coito has used either a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3. They went with a 4-4-2 against Greece, but allowed for lots of space between their lines and consistently struggled to deal with an imbalance of numbers through the middle. They might shift to a 4-3-3 to get more numbers central against the United States, or could refine their approach to be a little more narrow and a lot more compact. I won't be surprised if he goes for either shape against the U.S., but that said, two of the three wide attackers who played in those friendlies I mentioned are not in this squad, and the number of center forwards or players who generally play center forward that are present tells me a front two with a compact midfield behind them makes a lot of sense. Albert Elise, formerly of Houston and now with Boavista, will start either as a lone forward in that 4-3-3 or as part of a front two alongside possibly Jonathan Toro, Coco Lozano, or uh, Jorge Benguche, uh, who also spent some time with Boavista this season. Brian Acosta will start in the center of midfield, could be partnered by either Davy Flores or veterans veteran Boniette Garcia, who is 37 with 126 caps to his name. U.S. fans will probably be hoping that it's Flores who starts. He was pulled all over the place in that Greece friendly, including when he was caught in possession, over-pursued trying to win the ball back, and thus completely vacated space that allowed for Greece's Evangelos Pavlidis to stroll through the middle, receive the ball at the top of the 18 with no one within five yards, and easily slot home the opener. Josh Sargent hopes that that opportunity presents itself. Whether Garcia has the legs to handle what will be an aggressive U.S. midfield is also a matter for debate, so that means, in my mind, the more numbers, the better for Honduras through the center of the pitch. Alexander Lopez is another option, either centrally or out wide, and 24-year-old Jonathan Toro, mentioned earlier, could feature at left midfield as a left winger in a 4-3-3 or partnering at least in a 4-4-2. He has options, is all I'm saying. Honduras mainstay Minor Figueroa will start at center back, likely alongside Marcelo Pereira, with, I'm guessing, Kevin Alvarez at left back and Diego Rodriguez at right back. In terms of potential goal threats, Albert Alice is number one by some distance. La Pantarita, or the Little Panther, is the team's top scorer with 10 goals for the national team. He also knocked in eight for Bovista this past season and got six assists along the way. His speed, positional awareness, and physicality will make him a major focus for the U.S. defense, and he could easily cause problems if the United States tries to go with a high defensive line, at least has all of the attributes to punish you for that, and the goal-scoring ability to really make it pay. For his part, Alexander Lopez scored in that draw with Belarus. He also converted a penalty for the lone goal against Guatemala. The 28-year-old who plays club ball for Alajuelense in Costa Rica can score bangers from distance, but is also adept at playing on the half turn and bending in well-weighted balls for on-rushing forwards. They're kind of like looping over the top, but not 
dramatically over-the-top sort of ball that drops in just in time for a forward to get a foot to and score. The U.S. will need to stay tight to him to prevent him from picking out those sorts of runs, those sorts of opportunities. One other name to keep an eye on is one I've already mentioned a couple times. It's 24-year-old Jonathan Toro, who looks shorter than his 5'9 height would suggest. And I don't say that to be disparaging, to mock him or anything like that. It's because he has that kind of low center of gravity that allows him to cut and navigate defenders in a way that somebody who's 5'9", you wouldn't think they necessarily would. I'm not even saying 5'9 is the tallest height or anything like that, but just he looks like maybe he's a little bit more 5'5", 5'4". That's how good he is on the ball because he's got those tight chops and those little cuts that really throw off defenders, especially wrong foot them if they're coming in too aggressively. So again, that's Jonathan Toro, who's a tight control dribbler with a good right foot, which he uses to take set pieces for Chavez in the Portuguese second division. So a few different names to keep an eye on, but the United States overall should be feeling confident, even with the pretty comprehensive friendly loss to Switzerland. Uh, Less said about that, the better. I think the United States will have more than enough to get this one done and then move on to the final, likely against Mexico, maybe against Costa Rica, but either way, a tough opponent awaits. And Honduras is no slouch either, overlooking them, taking them to lightly thinking they won't be up for the challenge can certainly lead to problematic results. But again, I think Greg Berhalter, if his men come out strong and motivated and ready to go, things will be okay. And regardless of all that, the Nations League will be okay because it has allowed more teams to play in lots of different competitions at lots of different levels. We'll have promotion relegation and we'll have a new iteration starting in May of 2022, uh, with the final being in March of 2023, provided that any future global pandemics cooperate. Just kidding. Let's not have any more of those. Uh, And that should feature all of CONCACAF's member nations now that Guatemala have been restored. So we can look forward to that. We will obviously talk about that on the Total Soccer Show and maybe on Soccer 101 if some wrinkles do arise. But for now, I've been Taylor Rockwell. This has been Soccer 101. Hopefully you all now better understand what the Nations League is, why it exists, and a little bit about the USA's opponent later on tonight. But for now, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon. Soon.